Welcome to the Verdant Verdict Sports Show. I'm your host, Jacob Verdant. I'm joined here by Jeremiah Gray, G Sports. We got him on the phone this time. We got the mic situation, a little situated. How you doing, G? Good, man. Feeling real good. Coming off a nice little national championship win for my Michigan Wolverines, man. Uh, first national championship, I think, since 96, 95, with Charles Whitson was there, so... I'm 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 on my high horse right now, man. I've been talking a lot of noise to a lot of my <laughs> friends and um, people I went to school with that that said that Michigan would never win another national championship because they're in the Big Ten. So um, I'm feeling real good today on a Monday, on a Tuesday. They got you feeling right. We're gonna talk about that national championship here in a little bit. But first things first, I'm gonna go into your area of expertise here, uh, LSU recruiting. You see, their 2025 class right now, according to On Three, is ranked number one. Out of every school in college football, you see him, you know, get in Bryce Underwood, number one quarterback, Harlan Barry, number one running back, and DeCorian Moore, number one wide receiver. Now, I think getting the number one player in any position, but the top three positions in recruiting, now that's a power move. You can really see LSU building towards the future and building towards that national championship goal. But what do you think about these three players and the odds that they stay committed to LSU throughout this next year? I think two out of the three stays committed. And the reason why I say that is because Bryce Underwood understands what has happened with the last two quarterbacks that has came to LSU, and that's Joe Burrow and Jaden Daniels, who's turning into a Heisman Trophy winners. Joe Burrow is the number one pick. Jaden Daniels is probably going to be a top five at the latest, a top ten pick. So when you see that, um, you want to be in that kind of culture and be in that kind of system where you can develop and put yourself in a situation to be a Heisman Trophy candidate and be a top pick one day. So I, I feel real good about what um, Bryce, Bryce Underwood is going. He's going to stay committed um, until it's time for him to sign that piece of paper. Especially if Joe Sloan is named the offensive coordinator. I think it's like, that's a key dynamic to this whole situation because he's so close to that, that Bryce Underwood's family and his coaches in in Michigan. So I think he'll he'll be a, a tough. It'll be tough for, to see him. Uh, Sign that paper anywhere else, especially if Joe Sloan's still on staff for LSU as the offensive coordinator. Harlan Bear, I think Harlan Bear is, is is a lock in from Louisiana. Been an LSU fan since he's been a kid. The only school I could possibly see luring him away from LSU is the University of Florida because Jabarja Lucas is uncle. And so, if Florida could somehow get it going next year and Getting to the running of being, uh, you know, at one of the top teams in the SEC, you could probably see Florida maybe kind of sneaking at the end and possibly have a shot to get him. But I think LSU is in is in prime position to be able to get his his John Hancock on signing day. The Corian Moore, I just do not see LSU keeping him committed and having him sign his name on the dotted line on signing day for the 2025 class. You, know, you got people like Texas A&M and the University of Texas going after him so hard. One of his teammates, Colin Simmons, is already committed to University of Texas. I just think that when you start talking about the NIL space, that's where LSU is going to lose the battle. We just don't have the money and the resources that Texas and Texas A&M have. And I think, you know, people can say what they want. LSU is wide receiver you, and that's a good pitch to give to Kareem Moore and his family. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a blank check from a, from the NIL situation. When it's when it's all and done from the signing name on that line, and I just think that LSU is going to drop the ball when it comes to that, and I hope I'm wrong when I say that because I would love to see the Corian Moore and Bryce Underwood <laughs> wearing that purple and gold and and putting on the show 
for the next three to four years after they sign in 2025. But we'll see. Yeah, and if they can keep all three, that would really be some muscle flex for Brian Kelly. He had a lot of people questioning whether he'd be able to recruit and especially recruit the boot. So I think him going out this year in 2024, putting out a strong showing, and then every single year increase his recruiting class rank time and time again, I think that would be very, very big step for LSU. But you mentioned Bryce Underwood seems to be an obvious fit for LSU, and I'd say the same thing. It'd be hard to be a quarterback in high school right now looking at colleges to choose from and looking at LSU and just not, not deciding to go there. I'd say they're developmental you, honestly, right now. But with that being said, look at their quarterback room right now. You know, you got Garrett Nussmeyer, potential two more years. Ricky Collins is a talented quarterback. You get Colin Hurley this year, and now throw Bryce Underwood in the mix. Does that quarterback room get a little crowded, and do we see somebody leave out of this room? I think it's, it's evident that not all like all these quarterbacks are going to stay put. Somebody's going to end up leaving. Somebody's going to want to have an opportunity to start. And, you know, what LSU is doing right now is just creating competition in the room. And you got to do that. You got to do that and make the best man win. The cream going to always rise to the top. Will that be Colin Hurley? Will that be Ricky Collins? Will it be Bryce Underwood as a true freshman? We don't know. Bryce Underwood is a is a transcendent talent. You know, you know he's a he's the type of quarterback that comes around once every decade. So I can see him have a, having the opportunity to start his freshman year. But it's just going to depend on how much Colin Hurley develops in this first year in the twenty twenty four class. So uh, it's going to be interesting, man. I I don't see Garrett Nussmeyer staying two years. I think he's going to have a good enough year next year to be able to come out uh, for the draft. And, and I think Garrett Nussmeyer and, you know, with his dad playing in the NFL, I mean, coaching in the NFL, they understand the writing on the wall. When you get a kid like Bryce Underwood, who is the number one, not the number one quarterback, but the number one overall prospect in the country, who is just a physical specimen, I think he understands that leaving after next year, especially if he, if he has a pretty good year, it doesn't make sense to come back. So uh, I just think that somebody's going to be the eye man out. Will it be Colin Hurley? Will it be Ricky Collins? I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all play out, dude. And I'll tell you what, though. I'm glad LSU's in this situation where they have too many quarterbacks because, you know, uh, recent memory serves LSU fan correct. There's times where there hasn't been enough. There's times where, you know, you're scratching your head, like in 2021, wondering who you're going to put out there after – uh, Miles Brennan breaks his arm going fishing. So I think this situation for Joe Sloan and Brian Kelly, this is one of the best that they've been in, especially because the offensive talent, the offensive weapons seem to not be going away. And that that's going to help out that offensive side and continue to put out at that level of production. But the defensive side, you know, you got Blake Baker in. You got some rumors of whether or not Corey Raymond is going to join that coach and staff. What do you think that that defense needs to change? And we talked about it a little bit last week, but what would be your three things you'd need to see LSU's defense fix? Yeah, like I talked about in the last episode, man, they got to figure out different dynamic ways to get Deshaun Womack, Savion Jones, Mason Smith, Hal Perkins, Swenson, you know, those kind of playmakers to be able to get one-on-one matchups and, and be able to rush the passer on a consistent basis, especially on third down. Blake Baker does a great job of, of mixing his coverages up and uh, running a lot of twists and stunts and getting his, his best guy singled up. You know, what he did with Missouri's defense was very, very impressive. And so, you know, like we talked about in the last episode, when he gets the type of athletes that LSU has, 
a la Harold Perkins, a la Savion Jones, a la Mason Smith. I'm just waiting to hear Makai Wingo say he's pulling his name out of the draft. I don't know when the deadline is, but if that happens, you know, <clears throat> it's going to all start up front, man. And I think when you bring somebody like Blake Baker in, I think they understand what he's going to do on the defense side of the ball for us getting being able to get pressure on the quarterback. And once you do that, it's going to take a lot of pressure off that secondary. And I think you see that secondary thrive and, and, and be better than it was this past season, man. So uh, it's going to be interesting, man. Uh, Blake Baker, you know, he's not from Louisiana, but he has so many Louisiana ties. He has a lot of relationships, a lot of relationships in that LSU building. <clears throat> so they're going to, they're going to, um, gravitate toward him so so heavily, man. And I think you know you, you seen with Demon Clark came out and said who got drafted in the second or the third round by the Dallas Cowboys. He said Blake Baker is the best position coach he ever had. <clears throat> you know, and, and some other people came out. I can't remember offhand that played at LSU that said they love Blake Baker. I talked to me Robinson who who got drafted in the third round by the by the Las Vegas Raiders that played for Blake Baker with the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. He said Blake Baker is one of the best football minds he's been around, and he's player's coach. He's the kind of coach that you can talk to him about anything. He takes um, ideas from his players and, and, and implements it to the, in the game plan. And so I think Blake is going to just do wonders for that defense, and I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of questions silenced once we see him get this defense squared away in the spring, get them – um, understanding what he wants and his principles and, 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 the, and, the, and the different things he wants to do with that defense, man. And we're going to see the LSU defense get back to what we know, and that's being one of the top defenses in the country. Yeah, I agree. I think that if you need defensive pressure, especially up front with a talented room like LSU lacked this season, I think that Blake Baker's the perfect guy to do it. We talked about LA Tech uh, in the 2018 year. How about fourth in the country in sacks? Not to mention... Jalen Ferguson breaking the NCAA career sack record at LA Tech under Baker. It seems like he'd be the perfect coach to utilize that talent, scheme up some pressure, and get the defense back on target. Another thing that I want to see from this defense, though, I want to see a little bit of a a balance between their aggression and their patience. You know, you have times where uh, coverages get busted, players are getting a little bit too handsy, players are kind of, I'm not going to say trying to play all the roles on the field, but they're not focusing on their part. They're trying to do too much at times. I think if you keep the aggression but utilize it correctly and, you know, sharpen that IQ, that football IQ, and keep guys like Major Burns and Sage Ryan uh, in the pivotal leadership roles and play through experience, I think you'd see a lot of improvement on the defensive side of the ball. And lastly, the look, this seems obvious, but I, I just got to say it. We need sound tackling for them. You know, we want to preach taking good angles. You want to make sure that the guys are wrapping up. No more running into people with your shoulders, standing straight up, not getting any drive. And I want to see some textbook fundamental LSU defense. I mean, I'm all for the smash mouth defense, you know, pushing through the line. But at the same time, if somebody breaks through and gets to that secondary, I want to see these guys wrap it up. Another thing, we said LA Tech was fourth in um, sacks in 2018. They were 12th in tackles. In total tackles. So I think Blake Baker, he's a very good, uh, I would kind of call him like a blanket coverage coordinator. He's got a lot of years of experience at defensive coordinator, and he definitely can, you know, prevent the offense from scoring, as you've seen at Mizzou, LA Tech, Arkansas State, his several uh, coaching stops. You know, you got several players that are going to depart LSU for the NFL draft. Do you see anybody else adding their name to the list of, you know, the obvious Makai Wingo, Andre Sam, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, Jaden Daniels, Charles Turner, and last night's edition, Noah Kane? 
Oh, I was waiting to see what Josh Williams was going to do. I didn't see him decide if he was coming back or if he was putting his name in the draft. Um, to my knowledge, Josh Williams does have another year. And I just think if he comes back, that's just going to make that running back room so much more talented with him, Trey Holly, and Caleb Jackson. That three-headed monster could be one of the best in the country. And all three of them do something different. And so I hope that Josh Williams decides to come back. I heard some rumors that he might transfer back home to Texas where he's from and, and go to Houston. Um, I hope that doesn't happen, but we'll see. I'm waiting to see uh, what his plans are going to be for next year. Yeah, and, you know, what What stuck out to me about Noah Kane declaring, you know, you paired out with Logan Diggs entering the transfer portal, and it seemed to me that the only reasonable explanation is that Josh Williams is returning. Either that or you could go ahead and mark down a Caleb Jackson RB1 season. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Caleb Jackson enter as the backup entering next year, but by the end of the season, he'll probably get the bulk of the carries. He'll probably show you know, enough stardom, enough shine to be able to take over that, that, that lead running back role. But like you said, it looks like Josh Williams will probably return. He kind of, you know, talked about how he's leaning toward it. But at the end of the day, when you got talent like that and depth like that in the running back room, anything's possible. You could see him transferring. You could see him potentially going out with the experience that he has. But another person that I was interested to see at first whether or not Zy Alexander would stay. You know, he had that eligibility, but it looks like he's going to stay as well, and that's a big boost for the DB room because you're going to return Major Burns. You're going to return Zy now. At least you don't have to build that room from the ground up. You get to keep some of the more important pieces that gained a lot of experience last season. And I thought that Zy Alexander started getting better as the season went on, particularly around the time I think he got hurt in the Arkansas game. And uh, it seemed like he, he started to figure it out. You know, early on in the season, it looked like, you know, the SEC was a little, moving a little too fast for him. And he was trying to get comfortable with Madhouse's defense and the way Steve was teaching him his technique. But I think Zion Zan has all the measurables you look for in a corner, uh, six, one and a half, long arms, athletic. I just think that he, he needed to get used to playing on that level. And uh, <clears throat> it was just unfortunate he got hurt in that game, man, because he was, he, he was starting to figure it out. I think if he comes back next year, um, especially under the Blake Baker defense, and I can't wait to see who they're gonna name in DB coach. I think you've seen him uh, have a have a really really good year in his second year at LSU. Me too. He's a pretty underrated cornerback. You know, the smaller school guys don't get much love, but look at Andre Sam. You know, smaller school guy McNeese Marshall went out there performed very well. I think you throw Zy Alexander's name in that mix as well. He's definitely a, a great talent. He's definitely someone that I would keep an eye on next year and a big, big piece to a return in production for LSU. That'll be a big, big get. So I'm, yep. I'm, I'm going to switch it over to probably your favorite part of the show. This might arguably be your favorite part of any show so far this college football season. Go ahead, give me your national championship reaction. What was it like as a Michigan fan just watching Washington get destroyed? I will be honest with you. I was more confident in Michigan beating Bama than I was Washington. I knew Washington had the weapons with Polk and, uh, and Dunsey and Phoenix at quarterback, McMillan at receiver too. I know Johnson was a little hard with that running back, but I just was I was concerned about how we was going to face off against that defense. I mean, against that offense, and we did a great job, man. Phoenix, I mean, he was on his back all night. We did a great job of disguising our coverages. Um, sending nickel blitzes and safety blitzes and just 
sometimes we wouldn't even blitzing. We was getting pressure from, just from our four-man front. And I thought that was the difference in the game because Penix never got comfortable. They kept moving him off his spots. And he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks I've seen all year long. Last night it didn't look like he missed some open throws because he was just getting hit time at the time at the time. And that was the difference in the game. They just couldn't get their offense going. And, I mean, on and, and for, for Michigan, on the other side of the ball, bro, I mean, we ran the ball for a record of 303 yards. And that's what I said going into that game. I said, man, we got to make sure that we control the line of scrimmage on, with our offensive line because we have the best offensive line in the country, hands down. And they showed it last night. Corum had 134 yards rushing, 6.4 yards a carry. Donovan, that was at 104 yards rushing, over 17 yards a carry. Both of them combined for four touchdowns. McCarthy did a good job of getting it, getting out the pocket and making plays with legs like, we, like he's been known to do. And one of my favorite players on that Michigan offense is uh, Colston Lovely, who I think is going to be a first-round pick when he decides to come out uh, for the draft next year. And so I knew that Michigan had the makeup to dominate this game in the trenches. And they showed it last night, man. I was I was super, super happy because they proved all of their sales wrong. You know, everybody was saying they – a Big Ten team, especially like Michigan, the style of play that they play is outdated. You know, you can't win uh, playing like that anymore. You know, you got to run spread and this and this and that. And Jim Harbaugh showed you that you 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 can still win by punching punching people in the mouth, running on people through, and controlling a line of scrimmage. And you know, we played good special teams, offense and defense. When you play good in all three phases, like Michigan did last night, and how they did all year long, you have a team that goes fifteen and zero. You have a team that dominates. A championship game like they did last night, and I'm ecstatic. And I've been talking noise to everybody in my group chats for the last 24 hours, and I told them they better block me. <laughs> yeah, looking at the game last night, it was a runaway game in the first half. You know, a 17-3 start. The only moment I even thought it was close would be when Washington scores that touchdown right before halftime, and you know they're getting the ball to receive in the second half. They do nothing with it. Um, Michigan killed him with the run. Like you said, Donovan Edwards, two touchdowns. Blake Corum, two touchdowns. But shout out Donovan because he stepped up and he surprised a lot of people. You know, not getting used as much because of how prominent and, and, and important Blake Corum has been for Michigan all season. But how about first player in the college football playoff with two 40-plus yard touchdown runs, Donovan Edwards. That came out of nowhere. That shocked me. Whenever I saw him getting down and getting multiple and I knew you still have a back like Blake Corum that you can continuously pound through the middle of that uh, that defense. That's when I realized, all right, this game's over with. This isn't, you know, as as much of a runaway as last year's national championship, but it's pretty close. I don't think Harbaugh was sweating at all throughout that first half. I mean, Donovan, that was he he had a pretty solid year behind Blake Corum. I mean, he had 500 yards rushing this past season, and I think about five or six touchdowns, average over four yards a carry. So. What Donovan that was did last night didn't so much surprise me, maybe because I watch Michigan more than an average person because I'm a fan, but he's that type of back. Um, he's the type of back that, that, that could give you a, 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 a touchdown and take it 80 at any given time of the game. And so, and he showed it last night on the, on the big stage. And when you got both of them going like the him and Corn, man, it, it's tough because you're running behind the best offensive line in the country and a massive offensive line at that. And when you looked at Washington D-line, Standing, standing next to Michigan offensive line last night, it didn't even look close. It looked like a high school D-line going against a college O-line. That's how much of a difference it was, and that's why I knew that if we controlled the line of scrimmage like I knew we would, it was going to be tough. And I wanted to just you know, control the clock because I wanted to keep 
keep uh Washington's offense off the field. I didn't want it to become a shootout. And and I think Michigan just they they they, they stood up to the task, bro. And you know, I'm I'm just so happy to see Jim Harbaugh win him a national championship with all the scrutiny he got this past season with the, the stealing of the signs and recruiting violations and this and that. Um, I'm just hoping I don't see something come to the bottom of my, my ticker saying that he's departing for the NFL. Because <laughs> a lot of rumors are saying <laughs> that he might end up with the Chargers, the the Panthers, or the Patriots, man. I just hope he sticks it out and signs, up, signs a lifetime contract with my Michigan Wolverines, man, and try to run it back next year, bro, You because know, we got a good team coming back. And I'm glad you brought that up, the Harbaugh to NFL situation. If you ask me about it, I, the way I look at it is, like you said, Harbaugh can coach the rest of his career as long as he wants at Michigan. He's got the potential to yeah. be a Nick Saban, to be a legend. And, I mean, you just got to the top of college football. You've been pieces away for several years. But here you are, national champions. You got the transfer portal. You got NIL. You got, you know, recruiting. That could be pretty, pretty strong as you control the Big Ten at this point. I'm not going to say it'd be foolish to leave to the NFL, but the NFL, I mean, if you don't put out in a couple of years, your shelf life is over with. We've seen coaches like Mike Vrabel today get let go by the Titans after two back-to-back losing seasons. I mean, hell, the Patriots are talking about getting rid of Bill Belichick, who won six Super Bowls with them. It's not like you can just sit there and not produce. So I think the safest and smartest choice, if you're going to get paid at the top of college football coaches for Harbaugh, would be to stay. How do you see him leaving if he would? And where would he even go? How would that situation improve compared to what he has in Ann Arbor right now? If Jim Harbaugh is going to go to the NFL, which I hope he doesn't, I would. I think it makes all the sense in the world to go to the Los Angeles Chargers. That's the best situation I do. You got a, a really good defense with a franchise quarterback and Justin Herbert, you know, Keenan Allen, that receiver, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, running back. I mean, that's the best situation out there. And so, and it's in Los Angeles with the with the most beautiful weather in the world. Like, it's like a no-brainer. That's where you go if you're Jim Harbaugh. But at the same token, you play it at Michigan. You got the key to the city. You're coming off a national championship. You got the culture where you want it. I mean, who who got it better, bro? Who got it better? But then Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor, Michigan, man, I, I want to see him come back and, and and spend the rest of his career in Michigan, man. And look, let me let me let me make a key point about what Jim Harbaugh has done in Michigan. You know, everybody want to talk about the transfer portal, and that's what it, that's what college football is going to. So eighty percent of Michigan's roster did not come from the transfer portal. Eighty percent of their roster came from high school recruiting, and that's why they won the national championship last night. People need to understand. Building a culture through high school recruiting is how you win national championships. Now, you might have some teams, some programs might, you know, that fall in that 5 percentile that might get away with getting majority of their roster out the transfer portal and going to a national championship and even winning it. But I think if you want to see a level of consistency, which Jim Harbaugh is starting to show over the last two to three years at Michigan, you do it through high school recruiting, you do it through developing, and you do it the way he's done it. And that's why they went 15 and 0 this year. Those guys bleed blue and gold, bro. You saw it last night. Blake Carm on the on podium crying, you know, saying how much he loved Michigan and, 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 and all the stuff they went through. He did it for his brother on side. And you don't do it for your brother on side that, that just got there in fall camp. You do it for your brother that came in when you came in in high school. 
You know what I mean? And so I think that's the culture that he has there, man. You're not going to get that kind of feeling of that confetti falling and that camaraderie that you do in college football and in the NFL. You know, Jim Harbaugh, you did that. You went to, you went to the 49ers. You did a great job. You got to the Super Bowl. You lost. You, you scratched that itch. Man, stay at your alumni, man, and, and, and keep trying to bring national championships to Ann Arbor, man. Yeah, and I think that, you know, a, a Super Bowl, yeah, everybody wants one. Everybody understands also, though, how hard that is to attain. Not a lot of people get to hoist a Lombardi trophy up, whether it be coach or player. And to build off of what you were saying about the recruiting efforts, I think that is the beauty of college football. That's the beauty of being Jim Harbaugh and having your pick of the cream of the crop. I mean, once you enter this upper echelon of college football coaches now, there's not many people that, you know, not many more coaches you could respect than Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, you got Nick Saban. Yeah, you got guys like Brian Kelly. But with Jim Harbaugh proving himself, getting a ring, and building a culture like you just said, I think that he's got not only one of the best positions and one of the best schools, but he could potentially have one of the best dynasties being built. I think that Michigan, you know, they're not going to go away anytime soon if Harbaugh stays. They've created a lot of noise. And they have a clear path to the playoffs every single year. I think that the Big Ten is Michigan's conference to lose right now, and they could run wild over college football if they can retain Harbaugh. Agreed. Another coach, we kind of mentioned him earlier, Bill Belichick. He's been linked to teams like the Falcons, team like the Chargers. Uh, he met with Robert Kraft on Monday, and they said no decision's been made yet. You know, they were kind of wondering on what Belichick's plan for the future was and how he envisioned the Patriots getting back to the top of the NFL. But I'm not going to say all signs point to him leaving, but you got him favored to go to L.A. or another destination before New England. What do you think about that? Does Bill Belichick leave? And he's also, by the way, he's also exclusively stated he does not want to retire. He wants to continue coaching. So it seems like another destination would be the case if he were to leave New England. Again, the Los Angeles Chargers is the only NFL job out there that I would want if I'm Jim Harbaugh or Bill Belichick. You go to the Falcons, you, you, that's a two- to three-year window that's gonna, it's going to take to get that franchise where you want to get it to. The Panthers, same thing. The Commanders, same thing. I would be fighting over that damn Los Angeles Chargers job. I mean, that's, that's what I would want to be. I mean, they have all the makeup to compete for a Super Bowl in year one. In year one, can you imagine if Jim Harbaugh or Belichick go put this stamp on that on that organization? You already got the pieces in place, and then you go draft some some other people to to fill some little holes that you need to fill, and possibly pick up a couple people in free agency. I mean, they could be very well in the mix to, to compete for a Super Bowl in year one if Jim Harbaugh or Bill Belichick decides to go there. If I'm Bill Belichick, if I'm not going to the Chargers, I'm staying put in New England. I'm not going to the Falcons and going trying to figure out how we gonna revamp this franchise that's going to take two to three years. You, Bill, you're getting old. Jim Harbaugh, you're 60. You're not getting any younger. All right, menopause is approaching both of you. Okay? <laughs> so you might as well try to go somewhere like the Los Angeles Chargers and, and try to go win a Super Bowl sooner than later. All right? And, and, and that makes the most sense. And so I think Bill Belichick is not stupid. He probably sees the same writing on the wall as I see. And I think if he can't get that job, I think he stays put in New England. I think him and Robert Kraft had a transparent conversation about it, and I think that's what he's trying to figure out right now. Yeah, the, and looking at the openings, you know, you got the Raiders, Chargers, Falcons, Panthers, Commanders, now Titans. I'm going to have to agree with you. It seems like the prime destination is Los Angeles, not only because of the location, but you got 
and a limited amount of resources, and Los Angeles has a rabid fan base that has been waiting to win for so long. You get a media buy-in if you're a big name like Belichick or Horbog. I think that that's definitely the place to go. Before we get out of here, I want to ask you a quick little question. I know the Saints fans are going to love to hear this one. You hear insiders like Ian Rappaport talking about Dennis Allen potentially staying as the Saints head coach, but let's take a look at the last week of the NFL regular season. Kind of looks like he might have lost a locker room. You get the Jameis Winston whole controversy. Uh, what do you think about that, and what do you think about Dennis Allen's chances of coaching the New Orleans Saints in 2024? If Mickey Loomis hasn't made a decision by now, I don't think he's going to make a decision to fire I think he's bringing Dennis Allen back, uh, and I will, I'm very disappointed about that. I was – yesterday, you know, everybody was – rooting for us to beat the Falcons and hoping that we get some help and we get into the playoffs. I was one of those Saints fans that was not rooting for us to make the playoffs because I knew that would give Dennis Allen more time to be the Saints head coach and then and Mickey Loomis would probably bring him back. All right? I don't give a damn that we won four out of our last five games. He's not a head coach in the NFL. All right? I think he's a great position coach. I think he's a great coordinator. Some people are just not made out to be a head coach. And that's fine. You know, Wade Phillips was one of them. Uh, Rob Ryan was one of them. Some people are just not suited for it, man. And, you know, we need to go get somebody that's offensive of mind. And look, that's where the NFL is going now. If you go look and see all the top NFL teams that won Super Bowls over the last four to five years, it's been offensive of minded coaches. The last Super Bowl team to win it with a defensive-minded coach it's been Pete Carroll with the Seattle Seahawks, if I'm not mistaken. I correct me if I'm wrong with that. But that's where the NFL is going. So we got to go find a young, innovative, offensive-minded coach that's going to come in here and, and, and revamp that offense and get that offense back to higher heights like we're, like we're used to seeing when Drew Brees was there. All right? And maybe that could get Derek Carr in the right direction. I don't know. Uh, maybe we need to make a different uh, – we need to make a change at quarterback. I don't, I don't know what we need to do, but we need to go get somebody that's at the head of a snake that's better than Dennis Allen. For for Jameis Winston to get into victory formation and score a touchdown when Dennis Allen came out and said he told him to nail the ball, that clearly lets me know that your team don't respect you. You know, everybody won't come out and say Jameis Winston is a bad teammate. Well, his his teammates didn't say that about him, but, like, fans are saying he's a bad teammate. He's a, he has a losing mentality. Shannon Sharp went berserk on him on ESPN. I think it's more about Dennis Allen. Because if you respect your head coach, if your team respect the head coach, they're going to say, oh, whoa, 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 James, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But they clearly don't give a damn about Dennis Allen. For them to go against his orders and still score that touchdown, winning in victory formation, Lincoln Loomis, what more you need to see? He has clearly lost the team. He's clearly not head coach material. He hasn't been even going back to his Raider days, man. And we don't make a change, bro. We're going to keep setting the same franchise back more and more, and it's just it's 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 a, it's a tough time to be a Saints fan right now, man. That's, I mean, that's all I can see. It's, it's just it's tough. It's tough. I'm not even excited going forward. About I'm not. I have nothing to be looking. I have nothing to look forward to when it comes to the Saints. Like I have nothing. Like the draft, I'm not even excited about because all I keep thinking about, no matter what we draft on offense, is not is not going to put us in a situation that we compete for a, a division title or a Super Bowl. That's that's all I keep thinking about. So I mean, I'm just I'm. I'm appalled that Dennis Allen is still a head coach. 
Yeah, and especially because, you know, preseason, you hear a lot of talk about the Saints being, you know, Super Bowl underdogs or dark horses or what have you. They get the easiest schedule, and a lot of people are thinking they got a clear path to 10 wins, and they couldn't even get that in a very, very troublesome NFC South division where everybody has problems. The Falcons lose their coach. The Panthers lose their coach. The Bucks are led by Baker Mayfield to a shaky divisional win. Um My thing with the Saints preseason was even if they do get those 10 wins and play nobody, don't get, you know, that experience, that playoff level experience needed to get past a wild card round, that it would almost be all for naught. I kind of agree with you. The fact that the Saints are out of the playoffs should force Mickey Loomis's hand and then the Jameis Winston knee fake to the end zone with Jamal Williams is pretty much going to be the cherry on top that's going to send the Saints into the head coaching carousel having them look for another coach and the thing that I'm also seeing like you know we're talking about things Saints fans are saying and also we always got to take it with a grain of salt but you see them saying put him back at D coordinator I think that that's never going to be able to work because it's hard for me to picture somebody being head coach and then giving that title up to someone else staying under their staff relinquishing their responsibilities and not having a hand in the head coaching day-to-day duties I think their best bet is to completely cut ties with them move on and that puts them in a rough spot because now you know do they clear house with everybody do they get rid of all of their staff kind of similar to what Brian Kelly did don't be surprised if Brian Kelly names gets linked to that Patriots job if Bill Belichick departs. And then if that happens, there'll be a, a, a sure fire to try to drive Jaden Daniels in a top in a top ten of the draft. Oh good Lord. I didn't even think about that. Oh man. I hope Brian Ke- we need to put Brian Kelly in a straight jacket for the next couple of months and keep him in, in uh Don't be Louisiana. Surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if, if his name starts getting linked to that Patriots job. I'd be surprised. I'm just gonna I'm going to turn off all NFL notifications on my phone to save myself from the stress, but that's going to be a, a rocky period for LSU fans and, and Louisiana hold up, football hold up, fans. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Breaking news, breaking news. Uh-oh. Mason Smith has decided to declare for the NFL draft. So Mason Smith is heading to the NFL. Just posted it via his Instagram page. Okay. G, what are your thoughts on this? They still haven't named a D-line coach. I think that's a big part of it. I think hiring Blake Baker probably, you know, made Mason feel a little better about going into next season, but you still don't have a D-line coach. And I think the deadline for the, the end of the draft is, I think it's today. I think today's the deadline. I, I'm not mistaken. I think January 9th was the deadline to end your name in the draft. So if that's the case, we got to find out who dropped the ball on this not having a D-line coach named because you could have possibly had Nathan Smith and Makai Wingo coming back. This is unfortunate for the LSU faithful going forward, man. They are going to be in a, in, a, in, a, in a world of trouble going into next season not having – any type of interior lineman. I mean, what you got coming back? Guillory, uh, Jalen Lee. Uh, I mean, maybe Parrish. What, what a 
but I don't think Shan plays in the middle. I don't think he plays D tag. I don't think he plays the three take. Yeah, it so it is a big blow for LSU going forward. But you know, shout out to Mason Smith for being able to even be in this position. That's definitely going to be so. It's going to be a double sided sword because I want to see LSU return to the top and and have a great defense going forward. And he would have been a big piece for it. But at the same time, being able to see Mason Smith, you know, I'm gonna call him Homer Legend, Terrible Parrish Legend, getting into the NFL draft. Bro, stand up, man. That's gonna be exciting, bro. What do you think about? you know, what went into this decision. And a lot of people might be confused because, you know, things like this are more than meets the eye. Mason coming off of a year-long, you know, injury recovery, him coming in and changing positions, them not having a steady defensive line coach through the past year. How much of that kind of played into the slow start for Mason? And then what do you think about his draft stock going forward? Like, what does he have to do to secure uh potential first round or even second round draft selection for him or is that possible man first of all i want to see uh it's been a treat to cover mason ever since his ninth grade year at terrible high school uh to see the way he's grown not only as a football player but as a person has just been tremendous the wise man he, he's matured in so many ways on and off the field you know i remember when he got his first offer when he went to ul camp uh, under when billy napier first got there and just seeing how he had this dream of playing in the NFL when he first started this process and to see it all come to fruition now in 2024, man, is, is, is making me reflect back on just this whole process, man. And I'm, and I'm happy for him. Uh, and you can't blame him, man. You know, I know a, a lot of LSU fans are probably going to say, why is he not coming back? He needs, he needs, he needs, he's not ready for the NFL. And I get it, man. And, but, you got to understand the other side of it, and that's not having a D-line coach named. You know, I think LSU is going to regret not having that position coach named sooner than they did, man. And I know Bo Davis, the D-line coach from Texas, was somebody they was trying to get. I don't know if, if, if talk stalled on it, but I'm I'm pretty sure Mason was trying – because you got to think about it. He could have been declared. He could have been declared. He, you could tell he was waiting it out. They're trying to see – who was going to be named the D-line coach, and it just never surfaced. And I think that is a big reason why you're seeing him in the draft today. I talked to a number of NFL scouts um, at LSU games this year. I, I, I want to say probably about eight to ten, the Ravens, the Seahawks, the, the Bears, the Saints, and all of the, the scouts that I talked to still have Mason going late first round to the middle of the second round. So for all you LSU fans that are saying that he didn't play that good and he needs to come back and this and this and that. They still got scouts projecting him to go late first round to the middle of the second round. And then I had a couple of scouts say that depending on how he tests, he could possibly move himself into the middle of the first round. And so when you hear that from NFL scouts, even with you know, what even though he didn't play up to the expectations that we felt like he should have played it this year, that told me all I needed to know. And, and what a lot of them are saying was, you know, he didn't have a, a, a D-line coach consistently throughout his years at LSU. He was coming off an ACL injury. Uh, they wasn't using it right. So when you hear those things, it makes you put things in perspective and say, hmm, maybe maybe Mason might have a better NFL career than he did a college career. And so uh, I think the LSU fans need to really kind of lay off of Mason when they find out that he is going to the NFL. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you said that. I, you know, you see a lot of 
crazy things on the social media and and, and just in that uh, online world in general. And a lot of it is just, you know, pure uneducated fans. Sometimes people think they know a lot more than they do. And in the Mason Smith situation, like you said, six foot five, 300 plus pounds, blitzing fast speed. He's one of those type of guys that has the intangibles. You can't teach that size. You can't teach that speed to pair with it. And on top of it, the fact that, you know, he's going into this season with a huge uphill battle. I think that he did, you know, he performed, I'm not going to say up to the expectations that we thought, but I think that he had a great year. I think that he's going to be able to build off of this. I think that with the hand he was dealt, you know, he did a very, very good job when a lot of people wouldn't have been able to stand up to the task. You know, a lot of people would have crumbled under the pressure. I mean, being the number one recruit, and having two major injuries in your college career would throw a lot of people off. And I don't, I didn't see it throw him off. And I also saw him continue to be a great teammate, continue to be a leader on and off the field. Uh, Coach Kelly mentioned it several times about him standing up and being a leader and almost like another coach on the sideline during his year off. Um, so I think, you know, he proved a lot to NFL scouts, especially off the field, because not a lot of people are going to consider that. Not a lot of people are going to see you know, the character in an individual or how he's going to bring a team together. And I think, you know, looking at Big Zero, Mason Smith, that perfectly describes him and, and, and what he brings to the table and to a team on Sundays, potentially. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, man, you can't coach uh, 6'5", 315 pounds, being able to move light on your feet the way he does. I think, you know, we got to remember, they just don't have a lot of NFL players being able to move at his size like that, man. And then he's so intelligent. He's going to be able to go to any kind of defensive scheme and pick up on it quick, you know. So, um, and, and it just goes back to what the scouts were saying. Did LSU use him right? A lot of scouts feel like they didn't. And I think whatever NFL team drafts him, they're going to put him in a, in a, in a, in a position to uh, that meets, that, that fits his, his, his attributes and what he does well. And another thing I want to say real quick before we end this off, um, Mason Smith and the amount of attention that he he uh, attracts during a game. I mean, getting double team. If you do the math, that's forty percent of the offensive line to one player. He's a double team magnet, as he was all year. People want to question, you know, where was he? This, that, or the other. He's freeing off uh, spots for everyone else around him. He's a one hundred percent team player, and I think that he's he'll still draw the double teams in the NFL. And he's a nightmare for a matchup for offensive linemen defensive coordinators and defensive line coaches in the league are going to have some fun whenever they get mason smith on an nfl roster i agree man best best wishes to him man uh just it, it's always good to see somebody from the home from the crib from my hometown uh being able to fulfill their dreams man i i think nothing but good things is going to happen for him going forward to the nfl and uh i think a lot of people are going to be surprised on how he goes in the draft, especially after he tests. Yep. So a lot of people think a lot of people think he's gonna probably fall to the third or fourth round. But when he, after he's finished testing, when he when he, and he gets picked high in the draft, like late first round, possibly early second round, I think a lot of people are gonna be shocked. And that's gonna be the people that don't understand football. I agree. I agree. So best wishes to Mason. Shout out to him joining the NFL LSU 2024 draft class. I think that's a stacked draft class, bro. That's definitely bigger than last year. The pro day is going to be full of excitement. I'm, 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 I'm interested to see. I want to see everybody. I want to see if anybody potentially pulls out of the pro day. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. There's always a lot of drama uh, when you see the pro days, man, because you want to see what everybody's going to run in the 40. Uh, you want to see them in drill work and position work. And, and so uh, they're going to have a, a, a shitload of scouts and NFL GMs and head coaches there because you, you, you got to think about it. Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas are going to be um, – at the head of at the at the, at the head of the draft, and so a lot of people gonna want to see them in person for their pro day. So it's, it's gonna be interesting to see, of uh, in in what is it March is the pro day around April. I think it's gonna be around April. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see you know all those NFL teams and GMs and scouts lined up in that LSU in those facility to watch them boys perform. For sure. Well, G. I appreciate you stopping by. We had a little extended conversation today with the breaking news, but I'm glad that I was on air to be able to break it with you. Now we got to hurry up and get this out there. No doubt, man. No doubt. I appreciate you stopping in. This has been the Verdant Verdict. I'm Jacob Verdant, bringing you Sports Talk on the go. Make sure to hit the description. Follow us on social media. I'll link my socials as well as G Sports socials. Y'all go give them a follow. Thanks for watching.